Arts Mid North Coast acknowledge the Waramai, Biripai, Dungadi and Gumbangi people, the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live and work in, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. The Art Remedy Podcast, brought to you by Arts Mid North Coast. The magnitude of the 2019-2020 Black Summer bushfires left a devastating impact on our region. According to the National Bushfire Recovery Agency's impact report, over 6,500 square metres of the mid-north coast burnt, leaving great trauma and grief across the whole community. A growing body of evidence indicates that in times of community distress, the arts can provide positive benefits to personal and community well-being and recovery. In this episode, we'll be meeting Skosha Monkovich, Executive Officer at the Creative Recovery Network, to talk about creative recovery, a particular approach using art and creativity as tools to support individuals and communities after a disaster. Scotia is facilitating a training program this March in Kempsey, Taree and Bellingen in partnership with Arts Mid-North Coast. I also chat with Dr Emma Gentle, a registered and practising art therapist and researcher in arts and mental health who will be evaluating our program. Dr Gentle has delivered several bushfire recovery projects in our region and in this interview she provides some insight into the neuroscience behind art making and recovery. My name is Skosha Monkovich. I'm the Executive Officer of the Creative Recovery Network. And I'm joining you today. I'm speaking on Yagara Tourable Country from Mianjin, Brisbane. So a um, little north from where you are. It's a beautiful day here. So, um, the Creative Recovery Network is its a kind of core advocacy body, really, to try and... Um, advocate for and support the role of culture and the arts in disaster recovery. And it, it grew out of a range of different pilot projects that happened in Australia, particularly in Queensland after the 2011 floods and in conjunction with research around the 2009 bushfires and floods that were occurring in WA, etc. at that time. And it was acknowledged that there, there was a role and a place for us as creatives to step up and be part of our community's recovery, but there wasn't an articulated sense of how that might look like and how it might be supported. Just through those pilots, we established this framework of work, which it has turned into the Creative Recovery Network, which is about advocating at a government level for policy change, um, supporting and um, directing the evolution of work and research, and also to build capacity for local artists to understand how to work in the context of the disaster management ecology and how to um, build their capacity to be able to work with their communities around preparedness and recovery and to look after themselves in the process. We've got a range of different works that we've been developing over the last six to eight years, but the creative recovery training is our core um, capacity building platform. And we've, we began that training um, in partnership with Red Cross at the time trying to respond to what we were seeing as the kind of needs and gaps that artists at the time were experiencing. I think often artists are thrown into these kind of environments and told to do their magic, but aren't necessarily contextualised into what and how and who they're working with and the kind of 
internal politics of what those um, activation systems might be. And certainly in in disaster management, there are a whole raft of institutionalised processes, institutionalised um, um, politics, and also a whole raft of different people doing a whole raft of different jobs. But, uh, but there is a kind of intrinsic jigsaw of how they all fit together. So um, the training is to to highlight where we fit in that mix, how we can support the the work that's crossing so many different um, people's uh, processes and at the same time bring to the fore the skills and the, the intrinsic value that being in a creative space brings to people. I might just make the distinction that yeah, creative recovery is about community arts, cultural development, social engaged practice. It's about how we bring participation and and community leadership into the frame of working through creative processes. So arts therapy comes with a therapeutic uh, framework, which is very different. And I think there's been a, a long, hard conversation in the arts around the differentiation, so we don't need to go into that now. But the work that we are supporting and advocating and certainly trying to engage local governments in is much more participatory, looking at social cohesion, looking at network building, looking at problem solving, looking at ways to express and, and share stories and find rituals to be able to share emotion and to find ways of looking into a more um, hopeful and healthy future for our communities. So it's very participatory based. So the it's not to say that they don't have therapeutic outcomes, most certainly they do, but um, the emphasis isn't on a kind of therapeutic or medical model or, or psychological kind of framework. It's very much around a creative participation framework. And so, for example, um, one project from New South Wales just recently in response to the Black Summer um, bushfires was the Arbor Festival. And uh, whilst there was a kind of a whole raft of different responses that that festival was trying to build a program around, in, intrinsically uh, that work, the Arbor Festival in the Tumut area, was trying to engage uh, their local community in ways of telling the story and the experience to make sense of what that disaster impact was for them and how they could learn from it, build from it and grow um, more collectively together into the future. So one of the key elements of that festival, uh, it was a 50-day festival, the first year anniversary of the Black Summer, over the 50 days where that community was fighting that fire. And um, a core part of it were were projects that were just specifically for that local community so that they could ritualise and sit together and grieve and uh, share stories, but also uh, open themselves to the potential of what growth could occur out of this. So they had um, uh, this very particular um, beautiful ritual, community rituals that occurred in the spaces that were impacted. They also had a whole raft of other programs alongside, which were about sharing, expressing their stories more to a, uh, a more external audience. Uh, part of the festival was about regenerating tourism and looking at opportunities to regenerate people back into um, an effective social and ecological life for the community. So, you know, projects, uh, as you would know, and as the people listening to this podcast would know, are never singular. There's always multiple outcomes. But um, really for that festival, the core part of it was for finding ways for them to come together, to sit, to share uh, and to to grieve, but also build hopeful sensibilities about where they go to from here. Scotia, one of the outcomes of the Creative Recovery Training Program is to build a community of practice around this work. Why is that important? 
Well, always, I think, one of the biggest issues, and certainly if we're talking about independent practitioners, is that we often work in very isolated spaces. You know, how do we how do we find, find colleagues that we can share information, share tools, share learning, share uh, opportunities to kind of reflect on problems or uh, challenges that they're facing, that we're facing in our practice. Like we have elements of that in the arts, not necessarily so very strong. I think a community of practice is about how you support yourself in doing doing your work and doing it better and learning and growing and expanding your opportunities. So within the creative recovery space, we all bring our own creative practice, whatever that might be, as a facilitator, as a arts maker, as a singer or a choir leader or whatever we bring, a community leader. What we're coming around uh, is that notion of how it's applied within a particular situation, which is disaster preparedness or disaster recovery. So uh, a community of practice in that sense is to be able to share very specific understandings and needs that that brings to our processes. And within that, there are key things that we need to think about. Obviously, one is the network of part- partners that we need to engage with. This work can't be done in isolation. It has to be done very collectively across a whole broad service providers. It will give us an opportunity to meet them and work out how we work in partnership with them. It will bring together a shared language. So if suddenly I'm talking about, oh, what do you think about this situation I'm going into? What sort of encounters should I, I be putting into place? Then the people in my community practice understand what I mean by encounters because we've shared that same language we've got a kind of practice framework that we've all uh, learnt that we can use as a kind of pinpointer I suppose in terms of how we explain or our choices that we're making when we make our projects or make our work um, and it gives us an opportunity to share the weight of these projects when you're working with trauma impact it's um, it's a big weight to carry we as artists aren't we're not trained into that type of work we're not we're not nurses, we're not psychologists, we're not frontline workers. We come with our creative practice and we understand, I would assume we would understand empathy and engagement and access and equity and all those things that frame uh, good practice. But we don't necessarily have the skills nor the support around us really to manage vicarious trauma or the kind of big stories that we will be holding. And particularly, again, if we're talking about people coming to your training, they were also part of their community's impact and their community's anger and their community's grief and all the things that raise to the surface when we're put under such pressure as a disaster. And so if they're going to step into leadership role, we need people around us to help us to do that so we're not doing in isolation. We've got someone to reflect back to us what's going on and but also to debrief. A community practice is about collective peer debriefing and opportunities just to, you know, puncture that little bubble so that we can keep going without traumatising ourselves or the, and, and or in ensuring that we're creating safe spaces for the communities that we're working with first and foremost. My name is Emma Gentle and I am an art therapist as well as practising community arts over many, many years in different countries. So I've worked in Australia, the UK and Mexico and in each of these countries I've worked with different groups of people, often people who are structurally and socially marginalised and have seen the power of art on forming connection. And I've continued uh, with my studies and started researching the area. So my PhD was 
called Autonomous Expression and Creative Connection, an exploration of art making with neurodivergent people using disability services. I've been so lucky to be able to work with some of the people who were impacted by the bushfires 2019-2020. I've worked in schools with different groups in schools using the creative uh, recovery frame with the uh, looking into fire. I was, again, lucky enough to work with uh, one of the elders, uh, Gumbangia Elder, who has recently passed. And they were going into the schools before I went in and talking about fire and giving the children an understanding of fire knowledge through Gumbangia Lens then I would go in after that and explore with them what they had learned and through that then ask them more about their stories. So we had an in and that in was them telling me what they've learned about fires and then me getting to ask how that learning might have impacted them um, and some of their own stories around fire. So by doing that, we were immediately as a group starting to talk about and express what had happened. And I noticed within the first session uh, very early on, that not a lot of them knew each other's stories. They hadn't had a space yet to reflect and talk about what had happened to them or to their families or to their pets, livestock, um, their lands, and how that really impacted them. So there was a lot of young people looking at each other, either shocked to hear the other's story, and sometimes this real sense of connection that opened up a really open conversation about how it really impacted them what it was like, that we talked about what was the good side of it. There's some of them had some good sides of it, which was going into, um, you know, going to visit family that they don't normally stay with and they had to go and stay with them and they enjoyed that or, you know, not going to school. And then there was the, the people who um, had really horrific stories and they were all able to talk whilst I'd put paper and lots of art materials in front of them to start creating some of that story. And I also asked them to think about if they were looking for some themes to do some self-portraits around them during that time. And they all really responded quickly and emotionally to that project. It seems, Emma, that the being able to share and also to tell our stories is really quite central to um, this process of recovery. I think I, I think it's um you, you know you, you're absolutely right. This idea of storytelling is is huge, and it's it's not new. <laughs> the idea of telling story is is as old um, as as we know of. So the idea of even telling story through art is is not new. But what we've um, rediscovered is the importance of being able to tell story when we've been through a traumatic event. And those types of disasters um, don't just uh, affect the individual, but they, as you mentioned, affect the community. And they can impact our relationships as well. So being able to um, tell story through art is a really accessible way for people to communicate. We communicate much easily through uh, images and art often than through words, particularly for young people and children. They also got to see parts of their story that they weren't even quite sure about. So a lot of them discovered more in their artworks than they had even been thinking they were going to put into them. So telling their story through that um, was huge for them. And as I say, uh, that sort of being able to connect with that artwork and having 
the reflective process showed bits of themselves and some of the pain that they went through and the sadness of, of what some of them lost. And the sadness is what some of them knew other people were losing. And interestingly, the collective sadness that always came up around what was happening to the animals. Each of them was really upset by what was happening to the animals and they were able to express that through the art. And some of them had their own stories about their domesticated animals, their livestock, and then, of course, the wildlife, um, all, all of which was very upsetting for them. But by telling the story, they realised that they all, feel, they all felt that. Each of them had that story. And so they felt connected to each other. They didn't feel isolated or alone in their feelings. Having the art, doing the artworks together um, also creates a space to sit and look at the artworks together and reflect on those artworks at the end of the session. And that can also bring about discussion that might not have been there before. So in the schools where when this happened, um, it, it brought up a whole lot of feelings and thoughts that nobody had addressed so far and the teachers had been um, kind of astonished by how much was said because they were able to talk through their artworks. So they would look at the artwork, everyone would look at the person's artwork so they get recognition and acknowledgement for what they've been through. They talk about their artwork and as they're doing that, they start bringing in their own story. And while they're doing that, they know that there's people listening and they're interested and they're sitting, um, they're sitting with them. The same thing happened um, with the other creative recovery group I was doing. Is at the end of the session, we'd sit and we'd talk and go through the artworks, and so much more would come out during those discussions. But again, using the artwork as a medium to um, to hold the story. So if people were feeling too pained, they didn't have to say me, I, this is what's happened to me, but rather this is what's going on in the artwork. And that can be really beneficial for young people and for whole communities. Can you explain to us a little bit about the psychology behind art making and why it's really beneficial for uh, people and communities um, recovering from trauma? There's still heaps of ongoing research, but there's more research going on is what happens when um, actually during the process of art making and they talk about it as being a space where there's integration between the left and the right brain. The right brain is often the, um, seen as, as the more creative side and that creative side is creative because it's very holistic. So by bringing the two hemispheres, they, they believe that the art making, um, I say believe research has shown that the art making helps um, activate all the brain and so it integrates the both hemispheres. And by doing that, you stop car, you can, uh, let, there's less compartmentalization going on. And that holistic way of being helps you integrate, um, trauma and, um, and any adverse experiences that you might have had. It increases in neuroplasticity, um, which is basically the ability of the brain just to, you know, to form new pathways, um, to trigger off more neurons and, that's encouraged in the art recovery space because you're using new ideas, new materials, new techniques. You don't totally know what you're doing until you've done it. Um, so you might have a pre-planned idea, but once the artwork's done, it's often very different to what you've planned to do. And that's certainly true when we're doing it in an art that we're using an art therapy frame. Um, so that um, also helps you. Uh, with problem solving. And if you're doing the problem solving and you're getting better with this problem solving through the creation of art, 
this is also building resilience and that's individual resilience. And that also goes for the the brain's ability to engage. It's not so analytical and structured and fixed in, in there's been a problem and this is how we solve it. It 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 in it has a lot more path pathways to it in the right side, which means that you can you can use different ways to solve a problem. You don't have to get caught in this one thing. And often what happens if there's been a disaster or something totally outside of people's control is, of course, we all want to start controlling and be putting it, um, making sense of it. We naturally want to make sense of everything all the time. But by when we get artistic, we're engaging the parts of the brain that are less analytical. And that can be very helpful in the recovery process because we're using so many different parts of the brain. And we're also allowing, I guess, the unexpected to happen um, without it causing more distress to our and to our mental health, particularly. Um, and the other, the one of the main things that they have shown with the research um, is is that whilst uh, people are making art, that their cortisol levels decrease, which means that they are their stress response has decreased during the time they're making the art. They've also found that when they when people look at artworks, that that can also happen. So not just the creation of the art, but also the viewing of the art can change um, our um, our cortisol levels definitely. And there's other levels as well. And there's certain ways I I, I can't get into all the details of this because it's a whole world in itself. But the I think it's the delta waves. Um, all the waves change, and they change in a way that calms the mind down. And when the mind is more calm, it can process better. If the mind's racing and there's cortisol rushing around the body, it's really hard to process information and also feelings and emotions. And that's what's really important in the healing and building resilience is processing the many emotions and feelings that, that people have, particularly after something as universal for for the community as, as a disaster. This is Liv Parker and you've been listening to The Art Remedy by Arts Mid-North Coast. Thank you to our guests Skosha Monkovich from the Creative Recovery Network and Dr Emma Gentle. Our Creative Recovery Program has been supported by the Bushfire Community Recovery and Resilience Fund a joint Commonwealth and State Disaster Recovery Program, the Primary Health Network and the Foundation for Rural and Regional Renewal. To find out more about this program, visit our website on artsmidnorthcoast.com. You can also find us on our social channels through Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.